Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks so much for joining the show here today. Really looking forward to this conversation. My guest in this episode is Representative Jamal Bowman, the Congress member who represents New York's 16th Congressional District, which includes parts of the Northern Bronx and parts of Westchester County, including Yonkers, New Rochelle, and Mount Vernon. Very much looking forward to this conversation with Representative Bowman about a wide variety of issues, including the latest on negotiations in Congress and Washington around uh, Build Back Better and other key issues. This conversation with Jamal Bowman in just one moment. First, if you've missed any other episodes of the show, you can find Max Politics wherever you get your podcasts, or we have all the episodes at the Gotham Gazette website. We've had some really good conversations in recent weeks and months on a wide variety of issues with a bunch of great guests. I won't go into all of them now, but you can catch episodes with, for example, the presumptive next speaker of the New York City Council, uh, Council Member Adrian Adams. I also recently had an interesting conversation with Stephen Banks, the outgoing commissioner of the New York City Department of Social Services, about the de Blasio administration's record on public benefits administration, homelessness, and other social service issues, spoken in recent uh, weeks and months with experts about housing policy, bus policy, and more. The president of the United Federation of Teachers, Mike Mulgrew, joined me recently, and many other guests. I won't go into any more now, but find any or all of those episodes and more at Max Politics, wherever you get your podcast or the Gotham Gazette website. All right, Congressman Bowman, thank you so much for joining me. I've wanted to talk with you for a while. It's good to uh, have you here. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Just chilling, hanging out with my two kids, um, getting ready for the holidays, man. But uh, everything is going well as my amazing seven-year-old daughter brings me some water to drink. All right, perfect. Um, So build back better. Where are we at right now? Uh, Senator Manchin, you've had some very uh, harsh words for him. Uh, basically saying that he's uh, beholden to his donors, he's not doing the right thing for people in your district, people in his state of West Virginia, uh, for Americans writ large, and that he's emblematic of what's wrong in Congress, some pretty harsh words. A, uh, just tell us a little bit about where things stand from your perspective on this massive proposal from President Biden uh, and and that your House, uh, the House of Representatives has passed its version um, where things stand on on that. And then as part of that, do you do you think it's productive? Do you think it's helpful for so many Democrats like yourself to go after Senator Manchin uh, in, in such a public way as you have been? The floor is yours. Yeah. So in terms of where things stand, the, the short answer is we do not know. Um, the senator blindsided everyone on Sunday when he pretty much said he's a no on the bill. And to and to say that on Fox News um, was 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 very damaging for a variety of reasons. I mean, to do that on Fox News and to not to not to inform the president, not to inform the speaker, not to inform uh, Chairwoman Jayapal of the CPC, not to inform Senator Schumer was just, uh, in my my opinion, unprofessional and, and, and kind of crazy. Um, and, and to not and to offer and reasons why he he was a no that do not align with what we know the research says about inflation about um the deficit uh about uh you know and some of the other items he brought up so that was 
Yeah. So right now it's it's unknown where we are with that uh, with that piece of legislation in its current form. Uh, what we have heard is he has an alternate proposal at one point eight trillion that has many of the same provisions uh, that the one point seven five trillion uh Bill has doesn't go as big on climate, apparently, and doesn't have the child tax credit, which, you know, is a pillar of this Build Back Better Act is something that we try to make permanent that unfortunately we weren't able to do uh, because, again, Manchin didn't want to only wants to raise, raise corporate tax so much and only wants to tax the wealthy, but so much, if at all. Um, so I would love to see the details of his counter proposal. What does this one point eight? A trillion dollar proposal look like what's in it what's not and, and where do we start in terms of negotiations um with that and in terms of you know is it a good strategy to go after him i mean my 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 role in congress i i don't I don't want to go after people. That's not that's not what what I want to do. And, and what I've continued to say is not just about Manchin. It's about what he represents. Um, he represents a lot of what, in, in not just in my opinion, but when I hear from constituents in my district, a lot of what's wrong with Congress and a lot of why people are so so frustrated with Congress. Um, people just want things to get done for them, for their families, for their children for their community. And what Manchin is doing right now is he is stopping progress and he is stopping the progress of his own party. He is stopping the progress of those who are most vulnerable uh, in our in our district and, and, and in our country. And, you know, and I've accused him and, and, I, and I think this needs to continue to be elevated. He seems to be more responsive to to donors and dark money and special interest than he is to uh, the people of West Virginia. So, yeah, man, that's why there are so many people, tens of millions of people across this country who don't even vote in presidential elections, who, who, who consistently don't vote in presidential elections, don't even want to deal with politics, don't watch it, don't pay attention to it because it's it, it, it's controlled by the corporate elite. Our decisions are made based on uh, our donors and, and strong, powerful lobbies and not for the American people. So the American people uh, disconnect. So in terms of strategy, I don't know if it's the right strategy, but it's my job to uh, inform my constituents on, you know, where we are, what's happening and what 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 I feel about that. Maybe we'll get back uh, to strategy and whose job it is to get Senator Manchin along and, and reach a compromise. You you mentioned uh, and the Washington Post first reported on this, that the senator apparently has a counterproposal you said you want to get a better look at. Um, so we'll see what the conversations between Senator Manchin and President Biden and, and maybe uh, our own New York Senator Schumer, the majority leader, is involved there. Um, nice. I'll get your take on that in a second. But let's zoom back for a second. You, you got at some of the component pieces here of Build Back Better, but for you, when you're talking to your constituents, what are you saying are the key components of why this package is so necessary for your district, uh, which I mentioned covers parts of the Bronx and parts of Westchester, uh, your district, New York City, New York State, and the country? Yeah, so the climate provisions, first and foremost, right, finally investing in 
uh, a, a just transition toward sustainable energy and ending our dependency on fossil fuels. That climate provision uh, is equally important for all aspects, all parts of my district, from the wealthiest parts to the parts that are have been sunken in poverty for, for many decades. So the climate provision is important across the board. Uh, but when you look at other parts of the district, parts that have been stricken by poverty for decades. Uh, the reason why those areas have been you know, overcome with poverty for so long is because of lack of government investment and actually policies that have committed harm uh, to communities of color in particular. So the public housing investment, largest in U.S. history, would be transformative for our our district uh, for at least 5,000 residents, but the, it would also be transformative for the outlying community uh, in our district. Uh, the uh, child care provision, uh, not paying more than 7% of your salary towards child care, greatly impacts the entire district, specifically impacts uh, the lower income areas of the district. Universal pre-K would be a game changer for our district as a former educator. I understand how those two things how impactful those two things will lead to dramatically improved education outcomes and economic outcomes across the lifespan. And uh, the violence reduction component is key as well. Uh, 2.5 billion in, in taking a public health approach to public safety, not just more cops on the street, but being preventative uh, and dealing with the uh, in, in implementing wraparound services, holistic services, mental health services, uh, credible messenger services to prevent violence from escalating before it even it even happens. And obviously workforce development, jobs, 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 that's always important for, for any community, but particularly low-income communities. So uh, yeah, all, all of that, uh, insulin drug costs, uh, capping insulin drug costs at $35 would be incredible. Um, paying our home care workers a livable wage. Again, the largest so-called social investment in U.S. history, but one that is equitable, targeting vulnerable people, women, children, people of color, seniors, and dealing with climate um, is the game changer that we need right now. And why wasn't more on climate? Why wasn't the public housing funding? Why wasn't more of what's in um, Build Back Better related to drinking water? Some of these things that are much more about physical infrastructure than sort of social infrastructure. Why weren't they in the infrastructure package that was passed? Do you have insights on, on that? I mean, it, you know, some of these things seem almost, uh, you know, incomprehensibly moved to the social spending package that were really infrastructure. And obviously that was signed into law. Uh, and I want to ask you next, of course, you know, how much you think it was a mistake to separate the two big packages as progressives have been calling for not doing. Um, but why are some of these big physical infrastructure pieces in the quote unquote social spending package? Yeah. So, you know, we were critical of the bipartisan infrastructure framework because, you know, many considered it uh, to be a corporate giveaway. Uh, there are certain uh, corporations that, got, that are going to benefit disproportionately from the money that's available in BIF. Uh, those corporations already have their own infrastructure in place to pursue the grants and pursue the loans and pay those loans back and benefit greatly uh, from those things. 
Uh, so that was a, that was a big critique uh, from us. There were were not many provisions to ensure that uh, you know fracking doesn't happen again, and and we really take a uh, a, a climate neutral at worst approach uh, to uh, rebuilding our infrastructure. Those provisions were not a part of the of the bipartisan bill um, for whatever reason. So. Yeah, I the short answer is I don't know uh, the why the, the the more the longer answer is you know a lot of my colleagues uh, who do take corporate PAC money who do believe in the current system of the current economic system which I call toxic capitalism or plantation capitalism or colonial capitalism those who believe in that do not believe as much in moving to a uh, to a net zero carbon future as quickly as us progressives believe in that. So that's why there was a separation between, uh, you know, what's in the BIF versus what's in the Build Back Better Act. And, and just it's important to mention that part of our negotiation between the BIF and the Build Back Better Act was to ensure that Build Back Better had these climate provisions in it since BIF did not have it. So BBB has what BIF should have, but doesn't. And that's why those things are in there. Interesting. Um, there's a counter proposal apparently from Senator Manchin, as I said, Washington Post had a report on this. Um, uh, you know, uh, apparently it's got uh, lots of money for pre-K, uh, healthcare, climate spending, lots of stuff. But as you mentioned, uh, excludes the the child tax credit. Um, so there's, you know, some real questions there about what kind of compromise might be struck with Senator Manchin. That's assuming, again, you know, that the, the Senate can keep the 50 Democratic senators together um, on whatever might be reached. What is your viewpoint here as we talk uh, towards the end of December about getting to a compromise and getting to a compromise fairly soon Senate Majority Leader Schumer of New York has said he plans to uh, have the Senate vote on Build Back Better in January. That was an interesting announcement that he made after Senator Manchin said that he was a no on the legislation at this point. What's your viewpoint on how the parties need to come together to find some sort of compromise to get to yes of some kind on a big package of many, if not all, of these necessary pieces uh, in your viewpoint? Yeah, um, Schumer was also pretty careful. Like in his statement, he said that we will vote on a revised version of Build Back Better. So he made it seem as if he's already made the, the compromises are already in the process of being made and will probably be more in aligned with what Manchin um, is stating or, or, or that he wants. Um, so I'm very frustrated that uh, progressives are consistently the ones who are asked to compromise, right? Like we, we are the ones, you know, uh, 3.5 trillion was voted out of the Senate. It came, Manchin voted for that in the Senate. It came to the House at 3.5 and we worked it at 3.5 and then the lobbyists got involved and special interests got involved and then it started being gutted. So I, I'm... I don't want to compromise on anything, just to be clear, right? But where we are now, there's going to be some compromise. I hate, and I never use the word hate for anything, but I hate that we are compromising on childhood poverty. 
particularly when West Virginia has, well, it seems like we're compromising on childhood poverty. When West Virginia has the seventh worst childhood poverty in, in the country, um, and then we have no alternate plan uh, for dealing with childhood poverty. And, I, and this makes me think back to the beginning of the year where we couldn't even get a $15 minimum wage uh, through through Congress, right? Um, so yeah, how, if, we're, if we're not going to continue to support families living in poverty, um, an outdated definition of poverty, by the way, but you know, we're still supporting them, what are we doing about childhood poverty? Like what, what is the answer to that? What is the short-term and long-term answer to that, particularly in the middle of a pandemic when we are you know, dealing with a new variant that's, that's ravaging the entire country? So you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that there's no compromise on that. Happy that Manchin likes childcare, oh, excuse me, um, universal pre-K, that's great. You know, we're on the same page with, with that. Um, I, I'm hoping that, you know, Goldman Sachs um, and others, other other sort of pro-capitalist entities have begun to call Manchin out. I wonder if that begins to move him a bit. Um, I did personally get the sense that his Sunday announcement was was strategic from the perspective of theater and and fundraising. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm in the game now for 11 months. We're, we're at the end of a quarter. Um, I know we are trying to raise as much money as possible by December 31st. Um, and I know that all of the attention Manchin got yesterday, I'm, I'm going to be, I bet you he had a huge, well, Sunday, bet you had a huge fundraising day uh, with all of that attention because that's what has been happening all year. It's been the highest fundraising year of his career. It's been the most money spent by pharmaceutical lobbyists in history. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I, I, yeah, let's, I mean, let's see where we land. Let's see where we land. Again, I, you know, I think it goes without saying noticeable sort of some of the some of the allegations you're making about a, a fellow party member. But let me say this. You, you you said, you know, you're frustrated. Progressives are always asked to compromise the landscape of of Congress and and the presidency right now is a is a sort of moderate uh, landscape, right? There's a 50-50 Senate. Your 50th senator in the Democratic Party is Joe Manchin, who represents a state that Joe Biden got creamed in. Um, yeah. You know, the, Joe Biden obviously won the presidency on a, you know, again, his platform wound up being more progressive than than many Democratic nominees in, in of course, past um, election cycles. But of course, he was also pitching himself as sort of a, a moderate standard bearer of, of bipartisanship and compromise and so forth. Um, I mean, that's that's kind of the, the playing field you're dealing with here, right? Yeah. Well, one hundred percent. Go ahead. Finish. Yeah, no, I was going to. No, I, I wanted you to to respond to that, but but also, I, you know, I'm interested in your what your message is to Senate Majority Leader Schumer about getting something done, about bringing uh, Senator Manchin along, and maybe he has to bring you know one or two other senators along who might be skeptical of this big package as well. Um, but the landscape you're dealing with and and your message to Senator Majority Leader Schumer. Yeah. So so that is the landscape uh, in Congress. But the landscape throughout the country is people want to see us get shit done and progressives organized across the country to win Georgia and Pennsylvania and Michigan 
and Arizona and give Biden the presidency. So, you know, he didn't run as a centrist. Uh, I mean, he's always a centrist. Right. But there was there was a there was a Sanders Biden coalition. They came up with the Democratic platform together. The six trillion dollar Biden agenda with with regards to climate and build back better. That was that's what he ran on. Um, He also ran on racial justice and, and, and equity. That's why people came out to vote for him. You know, and let's zoom out for a minute because it's not just about Build Back Better. It's about the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, which is not moving at all. It's about immigration reform, which continues to be shut down by a parliamentarian that is not elected. That's only in an advisory role. It's about gun reform. We we had well over 180 school shootings this year and the horrible one in, in, in Michigan. It's about the Women's uh, Health Protection Act and Women's Reproductive rights that we're leaving to uh, the Supreme Court where we could pass it in the Senate and secure women's reproductive rights uh, for women across the country. It's about canceling student debt. Uh, It's all of these things, right? It's Biden ran on these things and these things aren't moving. And and we have, uh, and I I think it's, it's, I want to say it's unfair, but maybe that's the wrong word. But it's not just on Manchin. It's on Schumer and Biden, who all represent a sort of old guard status quo of Congress that is not moving any of these pieces of legislation forward. And then when you see, you know, declining uh, approval rating numbers, then you wonder why. And, and you get upset and, 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 and the administration doesn't seem to know what to do about that. But you know, don't don't run as a progressive and then get in and then don't do anything or, or, or do very little to uh, move the progressive agenda forward. The president used most of his political uh, political leverage this year to pass the bipartisan infrastructure framework, not BBB, not George Floyd, not any anything else. And again, he has the executive authority to do other things like cancel student debt, and he hasn't done those things. Um, so good year for the American Rescue Plan and for BIF, uh, not such a good year overall. And that's why hopefully we can you know, hit the ground running in January, because if we don't, we don't have a shot I mean, it's going to be hard. Oh, my to next gain. question. My it's next question is going to be hard is, to gain back, uh, keep the majority if we don't come out swinging in early January. You don't think it's a, a lost cause already? I don't. I mean, shit. Every day that we're here breathing, uh, we got we got the opportunity to do something transformative and amazing for the American people. Uh, you know, we 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 just need leadership from Biden. That that. We need historic leadership from Biden and we need historic leadership from Schumer. That's quickly. Yeah. yeah, Quick, quickly, since you mentioned the elections, um, are you expecting a a formidable challenge of any kind, whether from, you know, sort of the middle in a in a primary, uh, which would probably be, you know, the only real threat to your uh, reelection? You know, you obviously won in a in a big progressive upset of a longtime incumbent, Ellie Nangle. Are you expecting a, a significant challenge? Uh, well, every challenge is significant. Um, we have one uh, challenger right now. Um, we are taking that very seriously, uh, challenging us from the right 
Um, and uh, who knows what's going to happen. It might be more, especially after redistricting, um, which is yeah. in the middle of that as well. So we'll see. But yeah, like every challenge is serious, man. So we're we're going to keep doing what we do. Uh, since we only have about uh, five or six minutes left, let me try to hit a few other things with you. We could keep talking about congressional negotiations over Build Back Better for, for a couple more hours, I'm sure. But um, a few other a few other things. Um, you have uh, you are pushing for something called the African American Heritage Act. Do you want to take a moment History. to explain what that is and and what you're hoping for there? Well, yes, we want the accurate um, and comprehensive history of African Americans uh, taught in public schools across the country. Um, this is a direct response to the nonsense that's been out there about critical race theory. Um, so we're authorizing. Uh, the investment of $10 million in the uh, National African-American History Museum so they can create curricula that is accurate, that school districts can use, uh, voluntarily use to teach African-American history accurately. Um, So it's obviously a a landmark piece of legislation um, coming from my office. You know, as a former educator, uh, I can tell you it was hard teaching African-American history because it was so hard to find uh, the right resources to use in schools. So you had to build everything from scratch. Um, And then and also uh, trying to teach that history in a 28 month, 28 uh, day month in February. Black History Month is 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 unrealistic. Uh, So this is something that could be implemented throughout a school year. And I think it's important to teach this this as one step to teaching everyone's history accurately throughout the year, uh, because what you learn right now in, in many schools is um, is the manifest destiny of Western colonialism on the world and American exceptionalism. And what's suppressed in that teaching is uh, the Native American history, African-American history, the history of Asians and Latinos and other ethnic groups and their contributions to who we are, all of that needs to be taught comprehensively. So this act is one, one pillar in ensuring that that can happen. Interesting. And, and obviously your background is an educator, uh, this act, I'm curious, I heard you on the, on the Brian Lair show, talk a little bit about the next New York city schools chancellor, David Banks, uh, incoming mayor, Eric Adams, uh, the big concern I think you raise is that there might be, um, more, support at City Hall and the Department of Education for the expansion of charter schools than there has been since Mayor Bloomberg was mayor, because obviously Mayor de Blasio has been mostly a critic and an an opponent of the expansion of charter schools. Do you want to say a little bit more about your hopes and concerns about the Mayor Adams, Chancellor Banks era that's uh, about to begin? Yeah, I think Mayor Adams, uh, despite not being as quote unquote progressive as me, uh, has a chance to be one of the best mayors in New York City history uh, if he gets education right. And uh, he has a great chance of getting education right, right with someone like David Banks as the as the school's chancellor. You know, David was a teacher. He was a principal. He founded multiple Eagle Academy schools specifically targeting uh, black men and, and men of color, which is is. Noteworthy because these are the groups, and I know because I am one, that are often left out of and and forgotten and and sort of 
you know, put to the side as as you know, there's we we don't have any answer for them. We don't know what to do with those young men of color. Um, but David has embraced them throughout his career, and he's looking to embrace uh, new, innovative. Uh, student-centered approaches to teaching and learning that I think are exciting. And, you know, I talk to both of them often about this and, and they're open and listening. And, and the thing about Mayor Adams, at least thus far, uh, he seems to be someone who who is very comfortable admitting that, you know, I'm not an expert in education. You are, Jamal. What do you think? Um, so I hope that that continues. And yes, because he's that open, you know, he is vulnerable to hearing from charter school lobbies that are very, very powerful and very influential. Um, thankfully, uh, there's a you need state legislative clearance to expand charter schools and lift the cap, which I don't think is going to happen under Betty Rosa's and um, Lester Young's leadership. But but don't be surprised if there you do see some expansion of charters because there are, you know, and progressives don't talk about this much, but me being a former educator, I know this is a fact. There are mom and pop charters that are doing great work with, with some vulnerable, vulnerable kids. Um, so right. we want people count. sometimes think that the Eagle Academy is a charter network. It's not, not, but it, but it's yeah. similar to some charter Correct. schools. Correct. Eagle Academy is not a charter network, just right. like Casa Middle School, the school that I found that was not a charter school. Um, but there are mom and pop charters that are doing great work. Um, and even some of the chains do have some practices that can be used. Um, but David was very clear to me when I spoke to him. He's like, this is a public school system, man. And I think he's actually on the record saying that he was going to try to convince Bloomberg to invest that $750 million, uh, Was it million or bill? $750 million million. In, the, in the public school uh, mm-hmm. system. Um, so... That was good that he went on the record and said that. So there, there's 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 uh, space for optimism and hope, but also being diligent to make sure that uh, most of our attention is going to our public school system. Interesting. Uh, um, uh, plenty more to discuss there. Last last couple of questions um, in terms of the relationship with Mayor Elect Adams, other than education, are there any top line, um, again, sort of balance of, of promise and concern that you're, that are really top of mind for you as you monitor, you know, you're doing all this work, obviously in, in Congress, but you're also monitoring, you know, the day in, day out in your district and, and issues in the city and the state, um, other things top of mind for you as you, you know, we see this new era of city uh, leadership come in. Yeah, so really taking a a public health approach to public safety. You know, obviously, if there are people committing harm in our communities, they need to be held accountable and, quote unquote, brought to justice. But we also need to build a system where uh, people who, who need mental health supports, housing supports, job supports, uh, more education, that they receive what they need before they escalate to the point where they are committing harm uh, in the community. So a real public health harm reduction approach to our most vulnerable people, because they are the ones who go on to harm themselves or others. Um, And as I said, Eric seems to be, uh, Mayor Adams seems to be uh, open to that. And uh, I actually had a... um, 
a, a webinar recently with a with a program called the CARES program uh, out of uh, it's out of Harlem where they serve um, uh, children who have uh, dual disabilities, both mental health and substance abuse, and they really take a clinical and an academic a combined clinical academic approach to supporting these kids, where small classes. Uh, one to six uh, teacher to student ratio, clinicians nearby, uh, kids who come in with, with suicide ideation, multiple attempts, go, move to go to zero attempts, are often then uh, mainstream back into their schools or graduate from this program and go on to post-secondary opportunities. So, uh, and, and, and Mayor-elect Adams sent someone to this webinar uh, to be a part of it. So, Again, like that is what I'm monitoring, not just the the, uh, you know, law enforcement response to uh, to, to crime and what's happening in, in the communities, but a a true public health response. Should we expect an endorsement from you for Jermani Williams in the in the gubernatorial primary? Jermani's my brother, uh, so stay tuned on that. Okay, uh, I love Jermani. He's my brother, man, and and he shout out to Jermani. He was one of the um, uh, first elected, might have been the first uh, elected official to endorse my campaign. So he's my brother, man. Stay tuned. All right. And lastly, um, would you ever consider a, a primary challenge to one of New York City uh, senators? <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm trying to do this job. Uh, I'm trying to be effective at my current job. All right. I don't, I don't know about that. All right. Well, I, you, you, your name, uh, you know, people love to gossip politically, as you know. So your name has come up in, in conversations about people who should run for Senate, who should run for governor, you know, the, the type of uh, progressive who could, you know, win statewide in a in a in a primary, et cetera. So um, thought thought it was worth asking, especially as, you know, clearly, um, uh, again, in your sort of um, side of the of the Democratic Party, there's a lot of uh, dissatisfaction these days with with some of the leadership. So not on your radar for for this coming election year. I, I oh, take no, it. no, not at all. <laughs> all right. Uh, Congressman Jamal Bowman, appreciate the time. Uh, I got one thing I want to say. Yeah, please. One more thing to say. So our care economy, I want to I want to elevate that in New York State. I often talk about it on the national level as part of Build Back Better. But there's a lot of work being done around the care economy here in New York State. And there's a lot that can happen uh, during the next legislative session uh, in the New York State uh, legislature and with Kathy Hochul, Governor Hochul, really pushing support for the care economy. Right now, care workers make an average of $12.50 an hour. That is nowhere near a living wage. We need for our care workers to absolutely uh, make a living wage. And there is a there is a movement, the Fair Pay for Home Care and Universal Child Care movement. So we, we really want your listeners to support that. Contact your state legislatures and, and, and legislators and be a part of that. Fair Pay for Home Care. That's what we're pushing. Interesting. All right. Good to have that on the radar, folks, as the Albany year will get going right after the new year. So... Uh, Congressman Jamal Bowman, thank you again for the time. Happy holidays and, and be well. Thank you, man. Peace and love. Good to see you. All right. You too.